Hello and welcome to today's Unheard Head to Head. This is the first one we are doing. Um, this is an opportunity to take a big subject, a meaty subject that is important to us here at Unheard. And we bring together two uh, experts in their respective fields to debate the topic. And today our topic is austerity. So I'm delighted to be joined by two eminent economists. First of all, Vicky Price, who is a board member at the Centre for Economics and Business Research, and also a former joint head of the UK Government Economic Service, as well as having held chief economist positions at various uh, global institutions. And I'm also joined by unheard weekly Tarbell columnist, uh, Liam Halligan, who is also a Sunday Telegraph columnist and CNN panellist, uh, and also a former chief economist at a uh, global firm. So, hugely qualified to talk about our topic today. Now, the context, though not specifically the reason why we're talking about austerity, is that we've just had the spring statement here in the UK. And as the IFS, that's the Institute for Fiscal Studies head, Paul Johnson, tweeted uh, on the back of our Chancellor's statement, these are not encouraging forecasts. But the deficit has returned to pre-crisis levels. Our borrowing is expected to be lower this year. And so there are calls for an end to austerity, including, in fact, a call by the former uh, chief of staff to the prime minister, Nick Timothy. But more broadly, austerity has been a key theme within the discussions around the rise of populism that we have seen over the past decade in the wake of the financial crash. Um, Austerity, some would argue, seems to have hit the ordinary people, the poorest, whereas the wealthiest seems to have got off scot-free. Well, that's the question today. Is that true? Should we see an end to austerity? Or actually, is that premature? So today's first, as I say, unheard head to head, we're going to kick off with Liam's perspective, who is going to give us the case for austerity. Well, I've never, thanks, Charlie. It's nice to be here with you and with Vicky. I've never really bought the term austerity. I think it's a complete misnomer. Now, I'm not saying for one second that there haven't been certain parts of the public sector that have um, gotten smaller in recent years. Uh, But as an economist, looking at the overall envelope of public spending, we've seen a massive increase in government borrowing and therefore a massive increase in government debt during this so-called age of austerity. Our national debt, that which we must, must pay debt interest on every single year to stop the country going bankrupt, has ballooned from about £750 billion before the Lehman Brothers collapse to pushing £1.9 trillion now, 1,950 odd billion pounds. That's a huge amount of money during this so-called period of austerity. And yes, there has been an improvement after the financial crisis. We had a 10% of GDP budget deficit. That's in a single year we borrowed equivalent to 10% of our entire economy, absolutely throttling amounts of money um, to borrow. And when you keep having extended deficits, um, in the end, the government uh, comes under enormous pressure. Now, for now, of course, we've printed a huge amount of money. QE still happening across the Eurozone and Japan and elsewhere. That money is feeding into sovereign debt markets around the world and keeping government borrowing costs artificially low for now. But even at these very, very low borrowing costs and lower levels of government borrowing, 
each year. The deficit each year has got lower, and now, as you say, it's around 2% of GDP. The average it was from the end of the 60s up until the crisis in 2008. But even at these very low levels of uh, interest payments on so-called gilts, uh, and they can only go up, we're still spending, Charlie, 55 billion pounds a year on debt interest, which is more than we spend on schools. Okay, and I mean, that is one of the arguments that we should be stopping austerity. In fact, that borrowing costs are so low and we could be spending more, therefore, and using it to stimulate, I guess, the economy. So, Vicky, the argument against austerity. Well, to some extent, I think um, Liam is quite right that we had to borrow an awful lot of money early on in the financial crisis uh, because, of course, we had no choice. Um, We had banks that were uh, basically, uh, you know, threatened with uh, extinction uh, and without a financial sector you just can't operate so we basically had to rescue the banks and put a lot of money in the economy to ensure that businesses could still uh, operate and and that uh, has left us with with quite a big legacy to deal with uh, and of course you have to bring the deficit down from where it was the real question is how do you do it and over what period and does it make any sense to have any targets of the sort that George Osborne had which was basically to have a surplus right now we don't have a surplus Uh, in terms of the overall deficits. We may have it on the current um, spending side and revenue side, but not necessarily on the overall um, spending side. Uh, What you don't do uh, when uh, you are faced with uh, the problem of getting the economy moving again is cut back and cut back uh, with abandon, uh, because of course you are doing this in a cyclical way instead of acting in a counter-cyclical way to help the economy. Uh, And of course at the same time, although we had very low interest rates, Uh, The reality is that uh, banks were um, reining in quite significantly, they they were consolidating, they were increasing their capital, Uh, they were not really lending to any considerable extent at all. Uh, And and of course what you do if you also cut back as a government, particularly if you cut back on the infrastructure side, which was the easiest thing to do is you cut back on capital spending, basically all across, Um, because that's it doesn't, doesn't require uh, a, an awful lot of thought and uh, and of course you don't have the problems of the National Health Service not functioning or uh, and so on. Um, that affects the growth of the economy overall and it can act completely the opposite way of what you want because the way to really reduce the deficit and your debt uh, is to grow. And if all your policies are against that, which is actually what happened, uh, then you affect income quite significantly. So the estimates that we have right now, certainly from the Institute of Fiscal Studies that you uh, that you talked about, also I think is what the OBR is showing, is that we have lost about 14% of our national income. In other words, we would have been 14% richer if it hadn't been for the policies, or at least if it hadn't been for whatever happened during the period following the financial crisis and now. And so that's a good point, Liam. So, so you know, there are these estimates that say we would be 14% richer as a country had we not gone down the road of uh, reigning in public spending. Is that not a case against austerity? It's That's madness. That statement is completely ahistorical uh, and financially indefensible. Why do I say that? Just imagine, Charlotte, if we had, at a time when we had 10% of GDP budget deficit in a single year, in 2008-9, just imagine if we hadn't taken drastic steps to rein in our borrowing. And what would we have gone to? 15% of GDP budget deficit? 20% of GDP budget deficit? I'm old enough to remember the 1976 
IMF crisis when Britain went cap in hand to the International Monetary Fund because it was bankrupt. Britain went through something almost as traumatic, um, in fiscal terms at least, that Greece has been through uh, since the Eurozone crisis in 2011-2012. We haven't got 40% levels of youth unemployment, and Vicky knows far more about Greece, of course, being from Greece originally than I will ever know. I'm not saying that the British people suffered in the 1970s the way the Greek people have suffered at the hands of, of the Euro, but that's another debate. But just imagine if we hadn't taken serious action to show that this country was serious about managing its public finances in a way that wasn't completely um, yeah, in fairy tale land. We had to take drastic action. We did take drastic action to the extent that we reined in the amount we're borrowing each year. But I repeat, we're still borrowing 20, 30, 40, 50 billion pounds each year. We have an absolutely huge national debt. The national debt is officially around 90% of GDP. Add in public sector pensions, it's the same again, which are legal liabilities on the government. Add in the public, the private finance initiative liabilities. It goes up enormously. We're past masters in this country of shoving our national debt off balance sheets using, you know, complex financial ideas and telling the world that it's fine. And I repeat, I repeat, is it moral to be spending more on debt interest each year far more than we spend on schools. Well, can I say that we used to spend that back in 2008 anyway. So there's nothing morally, there was nothing morally wrong with it happening then because, of course, interest payments are now so much lower that even though we have such an increase in our debt, we're paying the same each year as we did then. So and which way are interest rates going to go now, Vicky? Oh, no, you're, you're quite right to worry about the future. And I do agree with you <laughs> that we had to do something about the debt. There is no doubt about it. The question is how you go about reducing it and whether you needed to even have thought that you would have a, will you needed to have, uh, a balanced budget right now when there is nothing sacrosanct about having a balanced budget any time really as long as the markets are prepared to lend to you you can then think of all sorts of things you can do if you finally you, you begin to find that the markets are not necessarily there to to uh, supply this money for you uh, but generally not only us but all across the world there's no doubt there's plenty of money around which is looking for even ridiculously low yields, but at least some security, and they're coming to us and to lots of other countries. If you look across Europe, their yields are ridiculously low right now. In fact, in some cases, they're negative. So basically, uh, uh, everyone who wants to invest in UK funds actually wants to pay us to have our debt. So in that environment, there is just no reason why you should be moving to uh, a balanced budget or even a surplus, because the way that it has been done, particularly by steps which have discouraged completely uh, investment by private firms has ended up with us not having the, the potential to have sustainable growth in the future. So where are we now? We have a productivity problem. Uh, certainly the Bank of England and others seem to think that we can't expand from where we are because we simply haven't got the capacity anymore to grow faster uh, than what we're doing at present uh, because we have such low productivity uh, and, uh, and therefore we have growth of whatever, 1.5, 1.3% next few years uh, and they will be prepared to raise interest rates because any little expansion in growth uh, will immediately, they think, bring inflation. Otherwise, we would have had a productive capacity that would have allowed us to, to work much faster uh, or to, to get out of our problems much faster in the future we would have had, because we would have had higher growth. That high growth generally reduces the deficit. So what have we actually done? We have produced lots of jobs, there's no doubt about it, but those jobs are very low-paid jobs. They require support from the government, such as 
you know, the, through the benefit system and uh, in-work tax credits, etc., which have prevented the deficit from falling as fast as it would otherwise would have done. So the policies have been counterproductive. And so, I mean, you know, it, it's it's reasonable to point out that obviously the automatic stabilisers, which increased mu much of the deficit, are there for precisely that reason, to ensure that, you know, people, when there is a, a financial downturn, can access benefits, you know, can still live, put a roof over their head, etc. So, you know, does Vicky have a point, Liam, that actually having arbitrary, or, or indeed are they arbitrary, uh, fiscal targets can actually be counterproductive? No, because I think you need to discipline the minds of myopic politicians. You know, Keynes, Keynes was not a Keynesian, right? I mean, that sounds like a big statement, but it's absolutely true, and the leading scholars of Keynes will confirm exactly what I'm saying now. Keynes believed that, yes, you run a deficit at certain times, providing you run a surplus at other times. And we've run a surplus only eight times in the last 65 years. So... Of course, there's a market for an economist to say, oh, we can spend now and politicians like to employ them and all the rest of it. And you can, you know, you come across as a really um, uh, worthy person. But some people who are financially literate have to point out that if you keep borrowing and keep borrowing, in the end, the markets will call time on you. That's the way the world works. And at the moment, yes, guilt yields are low because they've been rigged by the most unbelievably um, uh, unprecedented monetary experiment, so-called quantitative easing. The central bank balance sheets of the world's leading central banks have expanded three, four, five-fold in some cases. We did need some use of quantitative easing in the very first few months after the financial crisis. I've always accepted that, Vicky, and I know you advocated that, yeah. and we were absolutely as one on that. But what's happened, Charlotte, is that QE has friends in very powerful places. The City of London loves it because it keeps equity prices high. Big fat property owners like it because it keeps house prices high. Governments like it because it nails yields to the floor, which means governments can borrow, borrow, borrow with abandon without the market really imposing a reality check because the market knows the central bank will keep buying the gilts. That's what's happening now. Let it not be forgotten. Our own central bank here in one of the most civilised, advanced countries in the world owns well over a third of our government debt. That is circular financing. That is very, very close to actually you know, in developing world-style printing money. There are slight technical wrinkles using the secondary market. This is not a way to run an advanced economy, particularly at a time when the markets are extremely skittish. We just had the biggest fall in the Dow Jones Industrial Average in five years. Everybody knows that the Western world's bond market, certainly the sovereign bond market, is a bubble. This is not the time to keep loading more and more and more debt on a country like the UK, where we haven't got the fiscal capacity to bail ourselves out the way we did after 2008, where we haven't got the scope to lower interest rates the way we did in 2008 because they're already on the floor, and private sector debt is now bigger than it was in 2008. Financial markets are more overvalued than they were in 2008. So just because we've got a slight chink of light and the fiscal position is infinitesimally a bit better than it was 
you know, in November, we think we can spend a load more money. No, no, not at all. I don't, I don't think, I, I don't pay any attention to the fact that it's slightly better than it was then. What I really pay attention to is that it is considerably worse than had been anticipated, and the reason for it is much lower growth in the economy. So the question is, can you get your deficit down in a different way uh, than just cutting spending, which actually is counterintuitive because it reduces ability of people to spend, it reduces their incomes, uh, and of course, don't forget that some uh, three quarters of the welfare cuts that were announced in 2015 are going to haven't actually come through yet. So there will be an even bigger squeeze. Now, if you don't get growth, if you don't get investment, if you don't increase your productive capacity through in improving productivity, then you simply cannot grow. So you're stuck with this problems of the deficit being higher than it otherwise should be and your debt continuing to increase. So it's not a question of whether you just spend, spend, spend and not think about it. I, I actually am a great believer in, on the current, on the GDP, current side. national debt, Vicky? Well, you fine with that? Excuse me, 85%, 100%, I don't think it makes huge amount of really? difference. Spain is at 100% right now, for example, and is able to borrow yeah, very and, easily. And everyone, no it isn't, Vicky. Spain it's can only borrow because everybody knows the ECB is the main purchaser of Spanish government so, bonds. So is the UK's uh, bank, uh, of course. That's not fine. So is that's, the Bank of England. That's not capitalism. Hold on, Liam. Let, let, let's let Vicky finish what she's saying. There, there, there was a, uh, a belief before that 60% of... Uh, the debt-to-GDP ratio was sustainable. Anything above it would be a problem. And here we have had a number of countries who have done considerably better than that, including, for example, Japan. Uh, and, uh, and of course there is an issue of debt, generally, but the debt is generated because we're not growing fast enough. And my point goes back to what I said at the beginning. What you need to do, particularly at the beginning of the, uh, in the early years of the, of the uh, if you want to call it recovery, from the financial crisis, we had tightening monetary policy, even though interest rates were low in terms of the amount available, we, ha we had serious problems. Uh, we had a tightening fiscal policy. Uh, you can't expect the economy to grow at any sensible rate that way. And of course, you wouldn't be getting the investment that way. And we didn't get the investment that way that would guarantee that we could grow in the future uh, without serious problems on the deficit and the debt. So I think where we are now, we just can't get rid of it. Uh, the debt will continue to rise. There will be continuous problems with our deficit. Uh, so we pursued policies that are, in fact, against achieving what we said we would, which is uh, really reducing our debt, which is no way we can be able to do. Well, a riveting discussion. Um, some relatively heated moments, but I think generally quite a friendly discussion. So thank you so much, Liam and Vicky. Um, really appreciate you uh, discussing our head-to-head -head topic today on austerity. Um, Please do subscribe to Unheard if you haven't already. We have a range of different podcasts, which hopefully you will enjoy. Um, again, can I thank my guests? Can I thank James Coney for producing this podcast? Uh, and please do rate us as well if you've enjoyed it.